Hey everyone, this is Matt. And this is Greg. And this is Record Mashup. Got another great episode for you here today, but before we get into that, be sure to check us out on YouTube, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We also have our Instagram and our Twitter, and we're also on Facebook. So make sure to check us out on any platform that you possibly can and like, subscribe, send us comments, send us any questions that you have. And also send us an email to recordmashup at gmail.com and let us know what you think about future episodes or even our past episodes. So Matt, what do you have for us today for our theme? Yeah, so this this week we're going to be discussing duets. We've got two really great songs. I picked Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. Greg, what do you got? I picked Unforgettable by Natalie Cole and her dad, Nat King Cole. Nice. Great. Well, let's jump into it. All right. So the song Unforgettable was originally made by Nat King Cole, and it was then re-released with Natalie Cole doing the duet with her dad, and it was actually dubbed onto it. I I really like the newer version of the the duet version, but the original version was also amazing. And But before we get into any more of the facts or anything, let's just run through the lyrics really quick, which are fairly simple. It's a fairly short song, only comes in at about two minutes and 30 seconds with the original and then about three and a half minutes for the duet version. Getting into it. So it starts off with unforgettable. That's what you are. Unforgettable. Them near and far. So just explaining that someone is unforgettable no, no matter what they constantly think of. like a song of love that clings to me how the thought of you does things to me never before has someone been more unforgettable in every way and then and forevermore that's how you'll stay so forever you'll be in their heart their mind constantly just running through running through them not being able to be forgotten and then that's why darling it's incredible that someone so unforgettable thinks that i am unforgettable too so there's the love song portion of that where it's they're just as unforgettable to the person singing the song which shows that there's an undying like love or connection between the two and then there's a little interlude and then it goes back into so, some more singing for the no never before has someone been more unforgettable in every way and just keeps on with that theme. And it's fairly simple for, for a song, but it's a, it's a great duet in my opinion. And I really enjoy the song. And this was one of the first songs that got me into Nat King Cole. And it's honestly been covered in a lot of different songs or used as samples as well. So it's, it's it's got some history to it. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, you're right. There's not a whole lot lyrically to this, but you know, I really like it from a musical perspective. It's very, and we'll get into comparisons and so forth, but very different from "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" musically. Very. But, how did they describe Nat King Cole songs as um, the kind of melancholy, like slower? Yeah, they're. They're also just here. I got the word that I wanted. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it reminds me like instead like of a, crooning ballads, 
That's that's how it was described. Crooning ballads. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's definitely like jazz, like piano nightclub type feel to it, right? <laughs> yeah, old forties, fifties um, songs, just like Nat King Cole did. Yeah, and he also had a very distinct voice. I felt like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you hear a Nat King Cole song, you you know it's him. Yeah. And then his daughter, not as much of a distinct voice like that, but she still had a great singing voice. Um, hard, hard to compare, compare how different they, their voices were. I know we're comparing a, a man and a woman, but still like just, just the way that they sang and carried on and everything was very different. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And I think, I think that it's kind of cool though. I think that it was, you know, father daughter type situation, which also is a little weird given kind of what the song's about lyrically to some extent. I don't know. Maybe not. It depends on how you want to interpret it. I mean, is it two lovers or is it just two people that care about each other? I mean, it was really, it was really just his daughter, Natalie, just doing a, um, just a cover really of the song of one yeah. of his probably more popular songs that was really well done and everything. I think it was a really good way for her to work in a song that her dad had recorded because this was after he had died because he died in 1965 and this song came out in 1991 actually. So she was kind of just dubbed over on it for the song on the album that she had. She had done songs previously with her dad when she was younger. He, he was Pretty, pretty big hit while she was younger and she would jump on the songs even at the age of like six or so so she started off pretty pretty young with singing no that's 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 true did you see where this song actually had a, a different name originally yeah it was um, like um i hear i gotta hear my notes uncomparable like, yeah was the original song name yeah i think unforgettable Kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit. Yeah, a little I, better. I like Unforgivable a little bit better. And it was written by Irving Gordon, who had written a lot of other bigger songs also for like Billie Holiday, uh, Patti Page, Bing Crosby. And he had a really, he had a good background to him for writing this song as well. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of charts, it, it did fairly well in Canada. <laughs> yeah, so so the original song that wasn't the duet only peaked at number 12, but that was also back in the 50s, so I think that's pretty good. And then up into 1991 for the duet, you had Canada at number one, Australia at number two, the U.S. Adult Contemporary Billboard at number three, and then the that was on the weekly charts. And then the year-end charts, Canada had at number two, and the US Contemporary had at 56. But still think that overall it did pretty good still being on the on the charts. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh clearly was a popular song with with both versions. Um yes. the original and and the uh re-release. Other covers of the ver uh, of the song other cover versions and there's a 
there's a long list of people who have covered the song yeah or have used parts of the song a few famous people or not well obviously famous people but a few a few big names too got kenny rogers in there yeah uh andrea bocelli (laughs) (laughs) got a sia as one of the more recent people yep aretha Uh, franklin marvin gay i mean lots of lots of big names covering this song yes pretty cool good good song pretty short to the point lyrically and very well done musically as i say i really i really like the music to it i think it's (laughs) yeah kind of chill (laughs) and then it was cool because the irving gordon 40 years after he'd written it he got the song of the year reward so he died in 1996 this song came out in 1991 for the duet and that's when he got the song of the year award so right before he died so that's that's pretty cool was it was it posthumously or was it right before he died no it was right before he died in 96 okay cool Interesting. It's uh, it's interesting that 40 years later, after I guess because that was right after the the re-release came out. Yep. The the album that the re-release was on was called Unforgettable with Love, and she actually did a couple other songs that Nat King Cole had previously recorded on that as well. Which I I kind of think that's funny because um, one of the facts that I saw was when she started performing during her senior year in college, she wanted to make a different name and style from her dad so she did more of a rock and funk style rather than what her dad had done with the the crooning ballads (laughs) (laughs) but she still on that album went back to it and it was it was a fairly successful album which the album actually did top number one in the u.s and australia and new zealand it was pretty good well, you want to jump over to Don't Go Breaking My Heart? Yeah, like I said, there, the lyrics were pretty short, and there wasn't a huge laundry list of facts for this song. <laughs> well, But, well, yeah, we could jump over to Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Matt. Well, and I'll tell you this. there's This song doesn't really have a whole lot to it lyrically either, but there, there are quite a few facts with this one. Some interesting stories, too. Well, I guess not so much stories, but anecdotes. You know, lyrically, this is clearly about two two individuals, two lovers that have given each other their hearts. Elton and Kiki go, you know, alternate lines throughout the song. You know, they couldn't break each other's hearts if they tried. You know, if they get restless, you know, maybe they're not that kind. I kind of interpret that as a, you know, eh, you're not going to cheat. Like, neither one of us is. We're into each other. And even though, you know, we've got you know, life is dysfunctional at times. We're here for each other. We take the weight off each other. And, you know, they pick each other up when they're down. And I think, I think in many ways, I think this is such a great song that reflects, you know, really, you know, successful marriages in life. And, you know, life is dysfunctional at times. And, you know, I think that this is, I think in many ways, this song is really reflective, at least with the relationship I had with my wife. Um, you know, life, you know, life is dysfunctional, you know, and, but, but we're, we're each other's best friends in life and, and we love each other. And I think that this is kind of a really, she's going to kill me for saying this, <laughs> but I think it's uh, I think it's a great song that kind of reflects uh, our relationship with each other. So, yeah, I was listening to it earlier today, just getting ready for the, the porting this and I was watching the video to the song and I, I didn't remember it 
being like, I, I felt like it was a very awkward video. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, I actually, one of the things I came across, I didn't find a whole lot on this, but apparently it was like one of the cheapest music videos ever made. They recorded in like their first take, I believe. Yeah. It was uh, apparently <laughs> like, they just like, let's just do it, get it over with so we can release it and be done. <laughs> yeah. But they, they come out and Kiki D, she was a little bit less amped up, but Elton John, I don't know if he, he had like a Red Bull or a Monster back then, but he, he had some energy going into him when he came out. And it was yeah, there. It was, I felt like there was a disparity in energy. I know they did not have Monsters and Red Bulls back then. Yeah, he was probably on Coke or something. On that. It was probably on Coke or something. I was probably his Coke <laughs> days. But yeah, no, I, I, I like the song. It's unlike the um, Unforgettable. This is a very upbeat song. It's hard to not dance to it. And but yeah, there's really not a lot to it lyrically. There is some some interesting anecdotes about the lyrics uh, with this one. So get back up here for a minute. Uh, the song <laughs> we should say was released in 1976, June 21st to be specific. It had been recorded during the Blue Moves sessions, which was Elton John's 11th studio album. But it was actually the song itself was not released on an original studio album. It was it was released as his third standalone single. But what's interesting, so the Blue Moves sessions were in Canada, Toronto, I believe. And Elton just came up with this line, don't go breaking my heart. I don't know if he saw something that inspired him or, or what, but anyway, he just was, apparently he wrote the song musically and just kept repeating that, that phrase over and over again. You know, don't go breaking my heart. Like just, and that's all he said, like as he was writing the, 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 the music to it. And, you know, his writing partner was, has always been Bernie Taupin. And he reached out to Bernie and said, I got this great song I've written and I've got this line, but I need the lyrics to it. And if you know anything about Bernie Taupin and Elton John, that's the exact opposite of how they would work. Bernie would write the lyrics, hand them to Elton, and then Elton would put music to it. So it's kind of a, it kind of turned their, their methodology on its head. But what's interesting is that Elton ended up only using two lines of the lyrics that Bernie wrote. So I have no clue. I tried to figure out, I don't know who wrote the other lines, but what's interesting, you can, you know, a couple of years ago, Bernie actually auctioned off a lot of his lyrics that he wrote and some of his memorabilia that he's gotten over the years and guitars and kinds of things. So you can actually see what the original lyrics were that, that Bernie wrote. I think they sold for a little over six grand about two years ago. Just a couple of words for six grand. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so uh, I think he was cashing in during the, the start of uh, Elton's farewell tour. You know, I, I, I've got to say, too, i got to give a shout out. We actually I reached out to him to see if he wanted to be a guest on, on this episode. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it. But I listened to another podcast uh, that's run by a, a guy named Neil. Uh, he's, a, he's over in the UK. And he runs a podcast called, I guess that's why they call it the Elton John podcast podcast. But that's <laughs> it is a mouthful, but I'll tell you, it's a great show. He does. A, he's a huge Elton John. I, he, he would not agree with this, but I think he's an Elton John expert, but dude knows his stuff with Elton John. A lot of the, especially a lot of this early material. And he, he did an episode on, on the early days of rocket records. If you get a chance, listen to his show. He's got a, he's got a really great show. In any event, back to, uh, to this song. So that was kind of the story of how it was written. You know, originally they were going to record the song with Dusty Springfield, but apparently she was too ill at the time. And so that's when 
kind of Kiki D came into the picture. And in the background about Kiki, I told you I got a lot of facts on this one, Greg. <laughs> I'm a huge Elton John fan too. So, but she had actually been under the Motown label. At the time, she was, I believe, the only or was the first British white female on the Motown label. John Reed, who was also Elton John's manager, was also the music manager for Motown in the UK at the time. And so she, or excuse me, he convinced her to come on over and join Rocket Records, which was the label that Elton John and John Reed were creating at the time. She released a few songs on the record label and it before she ultimately wrote this, or not wrote, but uh, recorded this song with, with Elton. Pretty cool little kind of backstory there, I guess. You know, we've, I know we've done a lot of Motown songs in the past, so kind of an interesting connection. Yeah, and they, they really liked Marvin Gaye also. I, I didn't hear if you said that. No, yeah, but I think that was a lot of their inspiration. Yeah, Marvin Gaye's duets with, with other people kind of helped bring their inspiration out for this song. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And additionally, Matt, I saw that when he first recorded, he recorded his part separately from her part. Yeah. And he did, he only gave her four lines originally. And it was yep. supposed to be a duet. So he <laughs> was told that that's not going to work, obviously. If you want it to be a duet, she's got to have around 50% of the song. Yep. <laughs> so but what's, fun, what's funny about the part to get it, get it down a little bit. Yeah. And what's funny is because he was recording in Toronto at the time, she wasn't there. You know, this was a song that just kind of came up during their recording session of another studio album. And so he actually ended up recording her lines in like a, I guess like a falsetto voice or something, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny to picture that, but, and then she just kind of, they dubbed her lines over when she recorded them in London a few weeks later. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> so I just, I think it's funny to, to imagine Elton singing in a higher pitch voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of have a higher pitched voice anyways i think yeah so he can definitely pull it off yeah no i agree it's not I like just, it's not like it sounds weird i just think it would sound weird singing a duet with yourself that's the the, the part that gets me or it could be fun yeah true <laughs> <laughs> depends i'm i'm singing around the house all the time and my wife gets so angry and i'll like I'll just sing about anything throughout the house. I'll do like different parts, like I'm talking to my cats or something, you know, so, so that can kind of be fun. Yeah. Don't judge me. I'm not a weird person, I promise. No, it's okay. My wife, my wife and I imagine what our dog says too. So it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's really kind of all the, the anecdotal facts I have about the, the background of the song, writing it. It was Elton's first number one hit in the uk uh the which UK? is hard to in the uk yeah he had never had a song go number one in the uk before which is crazy because it's his 11th studio album i mean he's released huge hits before this i mean like your song philadelphia freedom i mean huge huge songs but he never had one go uh, number one hmm. on the other side of the pond before this one interesting it was only his sixth song to hit number one in the u.s it was at the top of the charts for four weeks in the u.s six weeks over in the uk and oddly enough it was his last number one in the u.s 
Uh, I should say, let me rephrase that. His last new number one in the U.S. until Candle in the Wind came out in 1997. He did have one song, a remake, uh, Don't Go, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, hit number one in 92 with a re-recording of George Michael. But kind of started, you know, it was a huge song, but kind of started a bit, of a, a bit of a lull for her. But his number one weekly charts when it first came out was pretty impressive because it was um, Australia, Canada, France, Ireland, New Zealand. Yeah, a, a huge song. There, I think there's it, it certainly saw immense, immense of success across the world. Yeah, so you got an Ivor Novello for best pop song, which if you don't know what an Ivor Novello is, it's a British award for song songwriters in the UK. Kind of, I guess. I had to look this up. I had actually never heard of it myself, but I, I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of the equivalent of a Grammy in the U.S. or the U.K. It's kind of at least my my take on it. But if there's anybody from the U.K. listening that wants to correct us, please let us know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shoot us uh, an email. Let us know. Correct us, please. Yeah. He also got Best Male Vocalist at the American Music Awards. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Lots of covers. There's been 19 official versions of the song released. He did a recorded version with RuPaul. Yep, saw that one. Yep, uh, Miss Piggy. <laughs> um, so you know, it's, the Muppets it's are big, it. man. Absolutely, yeah. I would want to do a duet with Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, really great song. As I said, not a lot to it lyrically, but a anecdotal. Comparing the two, I mean, we've kind of already talked about this a little bit musically opposite ends of the spectrum yes i would i would agree <laughs> i i think you can see that in the lyrics and just in the music of it and how we said crooning ballad versus upbeat more energetic duet i don't know that there's a whole lot in common actually i mean they're duets love songs yeah that's Thought true it? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, di- just different ways of taking a look at duets and how they can be severely different. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, that's uh, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, Matt, would you like to introduce next week's theme and song then? Yeah, and we should say we're going to we're going to be two weeks from. from uh, you got me there. <laughs> Where uh, Greg and I are both going on vacation next week. And we have no intentions of recording while on vacation. So sorry, but we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Not together, unfortunately. We'll uh we'll be hanging out with our wives separately, you know. Yes. So uh, but yeah, when we do come back, we're gonna take on the theme of boats. And I am going to tackle Southern Cross by Crosby Steels and Nash. Love that song. What Greg, what do you got? I have Boblo Boat by Royce the Five Nine, and that's also featuring J. Cole. So we get a little mashup that we got there. Yeah, I've never heard of that song, so I'm, I'm eager to listen to it. It's relatively new, last five years, something like that. Nice. So if you get a chance the next two weeks, listen to some of our old shows, get caught up, listen to these two songs so you can be ready for the next new episode. Force your friends to listen to us too. You know, always, always love new listeners. Yeah, check us out on Google, Apple, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Catch us anywhere. Just look up Record Mashup and send us an email at recordmashup at gmail.com and let us know what you think and let us know what duets you 
appreciate and love. Let us know what you think about boats and what boat songs we have. And no, absolutely not. There's no way that I'm going to do the T-Pain, Lonely Island, I'm on a boat song. No. Okay. You got anything else, Matt? Nope. We'll see you guys next time. Well, thank you. Bye.